The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This hour of the Costa Report is brought to you by Dole Food Company, the world's leading producer and distributor of fresh fruits and vegetables. Welcome to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and thank you for joining me for another two hours of Straight Talk Radio. I want to extend a special welcome to members of our armed forces and their families who are joining us over the Internet today, and also listeners who are tuning in on affiliate stations in Wyoming, Massachusetts, New York, Texas, Washington, California, and all 50 states. Thank you for making us part of your Newsweek. In the next hour, we're going to learn about how to brand, engage, and sell to what's being called the new majority, a challenge that not only business leaders are coming to terms with, but presidential hopefuls as well. CEO of Reframe the Brand, Mr. Jeffrey Bowman, will be joining us to talk about how those who know how to appeal to the new majority are winning in an increasingly fragmented marketplace. But before Mr. Bowman joins us, as is my custom each week, let me tell you a little about his background. Jeffrey L. Bowman was born in Spartanburg, South Carolina. He earned his undergraduate degree from South Carolina State University and his MBA from Clark Atlanta University. Bowman's professional career began when he was hired as an account development management manager for PepsiCo. From here, Bowman accepted a short assignment as a management intern with Procter & Gamble before landing the enviable role of associate brand manager for the Miller Brewer Brewing Company. Four years later... He left the food and beverage industry to join Whirlpool, Dell, and Sears as a marketing executive before being invited to join legendary advertising giant Ogilvy & Mather. At Ogilvy, Bowman served as a director of marketing strategy and as North America cross-cultural practice lead before ascending to senior partner and managing director. In 2013, Bowman founded Reframe, the brand a company dedicated to preparing executives for the new majority. And in the next hour, we're going to find out just what that new majority is and why business and government leaders must adapt their brands to remain competitive. It's my pleasure to welcome to the Costa Report, founder of Reframe the Brand, Mr. Jeffrey Bowman. Thank you for joining us today, Mr. Bowman. Good afternoon. How are you doing? Actually, good morning. <laughs> well, good morning. Good afternoon. <laughs> I've been on a plane the last uh, 24 hours, so I, I, I'm pretty sure it's morning or afternoon somewhere. <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. It's a good day. Yeah, it is. Uh, you know, and you, you point out you, everybody is dealing with the global economy these days. I mean, with the Internet, we're doing business 24-7. And now, uh, you know, with all these communication devices that, we, that we're carrying around with us all the time, uh, you have come up with this idea that not only are we doing business 24-7 and all over the world at all times, but you say that there is now this this uh, marketing phenomenon called the new majority. What's the new majority? So what was once called the, the, the minority population here in the U.S., considered black, Hispanics, and Asians, and the evolution of the LGBT community and, and, and some topics, women, when you combine from a demographic and spin perspective, there's a projectile that says at some point, these groups are going to become the majority population, the new majority population. So whenever I hear minorities, uh, I kind of wish because, of, you know, that's recognition that there's a little bit of self-aware that's out there. And these are your new consumers, which you need to base everything you do off of this new majority population. 
So are you talking about an aggregation of various vertical segmentations? Like, are you talking about if you combine uh, the the black segment, the women segment, the, the LGBT segment, suddenly that is the majority? Yes, I, I give you an example. Um, we knew and now know uh, since, what, the last two elections, the same amount of white men that voted once carried the, you know, the general election. That no longer will exist and will never exist in terms of them being the majority uh, consensus from a voter population. From an economic perspective, women now control or influence 80% of the purchasing power of all U.S. households. So when you think about life insurance, life insurance as a category is purely based off the idea that if you get the man, that you're going to get the woman. So when you talk about the parallels of shifts, that needs to happen from a mindset and from an overall business process. Uh, this needs to happen now, and if not, your brand will be irrelevant over the next, you know, 5 to 15 to 20 years. Yeah, now, the way that technology has gone, you can now categorize consumers and their habits, uh, you know, to print point position. I mean, there seem to be many, many more smaller vertical market niches. Um, does that make it more challenging to build a one-size-fits-all brand like Coca-Cola or Levi's? Well, let's, let's just let's talk about that for a second because the idea is that if you are tracking people from a digital perspective, that you can understand their attitudes and behaviors. The issue with that is that, you know, there's channel attribution associated with that meaning that if I can track you, I can predict what your outcome is, you're eventually going to go to a shopping cart. Today, still today, more than you know, 80 to 85% of purchases are made offline. So that's you know, one myth associated with the idea that things are going to become more digital. It's primarily still used for awareness and engagement, but doesn't always tie directly to a purchase outcome. The second thing I'll say is that when you are talking about data, oftentimes we want to forget ethnicity. Well, unfortunately, within the U.S. and, you know, it's become a model throughout the world, the largest database that we have is called the U.S. Census, and it still attracts people based on ethnicities from the categorization standpoint. So what you have to do is not only build a model from a segmentation standpoint, but you still have to include ethnicity because that's the way we track values still here in the U.S. Now, in a moment, we're going to talk about how to connect with the new majority. But before we do, in your view, what's the number one mistake companies make today when it comes to connecting with that new majority? Believe it or not, I cannot tell you how many Fortune 500 companies that I've walked through the hallways and they don't have the type of data that's required to properly size what the opportunity is. And so that's the number one. The first thing we do is resize the market uh, so that we truly understand what the valuation is for those new majorities. Hello? I'm here. Yes. Hello, yes. I'm sorry. Yes. Somehow the sound cut out. Can you say that one more time? I'd say the first mistake that people make, and I can't tell you how many hallways I've walked through uh, major Fortune 25 companies, where they don't have the right size of information, sizing as relates to the new majority of segments, nor do they have the you know, consumer insights as it relates to blacks, Hispanics, and Asians. So that's the first thing that brands have to do to beef up their business intelligence. And yet we have all these tools that we didn't have before that will allow us to conduct consumer surveillance. Uh, but what I hear you saying is that they don't actually have the, uh, the data. How can that be? How can Fortune 500 companies be data short when we're producing so much more than we ever did before? Yeah, I mean, if we think about the data capture element, you have to think about the idea that most of the data capture that exists are, you know, post-purchase and behavior-based. But prior to going out as it relates to investing in these segments, you have to, you know, you have to have that information in-house. So when you think about segmentation, uh, most of the companies or brands that procured vendors to do the segmentation are what we call general market service providers. Mm -hmm. So they primarily do segmentation 
based on the mass consumer. Well, if the mass consumer is presumed to be white, household income of X, then you've got mounds upon mounds of data. And so when they supplement it, they really don't have the right sample size for Blacks and Hispanics and Asians. So the data is statistically irrelevant. There you go. So you have a lot of data, but maybe not the right data. We have to schedule our first break here, but stay where you are. We'll be right back with more from Jeffrey Bowman. You're listening to the Costa Report. Biodiversity is the very fabric of our lives. It is everything around us, all of nature. But human impact is diminishing biodiversity at an alarming rate. And because of that, the intricate web of biodiversity is unraveling in ways we don't fully understand, and our world is becoming less resilient. That's why we are biodiversity advocates. We're the E.O. Wilson Biodiversity Foundation. Guided by the greatest living naturalist, E.O. Wilson, we champion research and education that expands our understanding of biodiversity and informs worldwide conservation efforts. The E.O. Wilson Biodiversity Foundation is building a movement of environmental stewards like you who share our sense of responsibility for the living world that is our home. Join us in our quest to protect biodiversity, the fabric of our lives. Visit eowilsonfoundation.org. Holiday season is just around the corner, and I want to share one of my favorite tips for being able to avoid that last-minute dash to buy something that screams, I didn't put much thought into this. Now imagine a different scenario this year. Imagine the surprise on your loved one's face when they open the first page of the Watchman's Rattle and see a custom dedication in their name by the author. The best part is it's so easy. Just go to RebeccaCosta.com, do it right now, and click on the book cover and presto. In less than three minutes, you can request the inscription you want. So do it now. Go to RebeccaCosta.com, and this year, give an affordable, thoughtful gift that says, this is for you and only you. That's RebeccaCosta.com. If you care about education and kids in California, please stay tuned for an important message. Remember not that long ago, the years of devastating cuts to public education? I'm State Controller Betty Yee. We can't go back to cuts that hurt our kids. So vote yes on Prop 55. Prop 55 prevents $4 billion in new education cuts without raising taxes on anyone. And there's strict accountability in Prop 55 with local control over school funding decisions and mandatory annual audits guaranteeing the money goes directly to our classrooms, not to bureaucracy, not to administration. This is State Controller Betty Yee urging you to vote yes on Prop 55 because it helps our children thrive. Paid for by Yes on 55, Californians for Budget Stability, sponsored by teachers, health care providers, doctors, and labor organizations. Major funding by California Hospitals Committee on Issues, sponsored by California Association of Hospitals and Health Systems, and California Teachers Association Issues Pack Committee. Radio. Why should I advertise on radio? There's nothing to look at, no pictures. Listen, you can do things on radio you couldn't possibly do on TV. That'll be the day. All right, watch this. <clears throat> Okay, people, and now when I give you the cue, I want the 700-foot mountain of whipped cream to roll into Lake Michigan, which has been drained and filled with hot chocolate. Then the Royal Canadian Air Force will fly overhead, towing a 10-ton maraschino cherry, which will be dropped into the whipped cream for the cheering of 25,000 extras. All right, cue the mountain. cheering extras. Now, you want to try that on television? Well... You see, radio is a very special medium because it stretches the imagination. Doesn't television stretch the imagination? Up to 21 inches, yes. (laughs) 
Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and my guest today is former partner and managing director of Ogilvy & Mather and founder of Reframe the Brand, Mr. Jeffrey Bowman. And today we're talking about the new majority and how to design a strategy and tactics to capitalize on what's known about that new majority. So now let's talk about something you call the total market approach. So what's the total market approach, and can you give us an example of a company that is successfully using it? So the total market approach is a systematic approach. Think of like Six Sigma process improvement where a brand literally reevaluates how they go to market in a much more holistic way. It was a concept introduced actually in the 1960s by McKinsey. And at that particular time, obviously America was evolving. It was still not even yet a multicultural nation primarily a monocultural nation. So uh, that's what happened at that particular time and why it did not stick. I see. And, and, but it sticks now. You, you would make the argument that now is the right time for the total market approach. Yeah, I mean, the way I think about it, general market as an industry was developed and has become over a $350 billion industry. The general market industry started in the 1930s. And then, obviously, you had the first black agency that came out in the you know, mid-50s. And it was 10 years ago I reintroduced the total market approach at the Association for National Advertisers. So think about it. More than 70 years have gone by. And this is yet you know, still in its infancy with only five years of development from a market perspective. So give us an example of a company that's using a total market approach uh, successfully. So, you know, the total market approach in itself is, is a disruptor. And so when you think about general market, multicultural, from industry perspective, now you've got the total market industry vertical, and embedded within that is a horizontal, um, horizontal line as it relates to the approach. The examples that I use are, you know, examples that I can speak for um, because it is more of change management than an advertising outcome. And I would say probably the the best company that's still evolving uh, would be a company, you know, like like a Verizon, um, like a uh, Prudential. Um, and, and again, you're only talking about five years of market development and penetration. Well, tell us what they're doing specifically that you think is different from their competitors. So, I mean, you think about, you know, Let's talk about the telco industry as a whole. Um, it's a highly, highly uh, mature category with over you know, 80% penetration from a household perspective. So anybody in that category, the way that they're going to grow is that they still share, share from someone else, or they you know, bring in new users who are coming up the food chain, and that just happens to be millennials. And so when you think about millennials, uh, they in itself are account for 43% of the millennial generation is multicultural. So what I've seen from an external perspective, you see Verizon, you know, kind of shifting uh, their approach. You think about, you know, the things that they've done from a customer experience and engagement perspective. They've got a new communications or brand platform. They've got, uh, you know, they heavily invested in the MBA. Why the MBA? Uh, would say probably it's, it's, it's you know, targets youth. It's led by the new majority in terms of um, cultural segments. And the last thing I'll say, you know, just purely based on the acquisitions, they've shifted uh, from a hardware focus to more of a content focus. So those are things that, you know, if I were, as I'm looking from an external perspective, those are the wings that this, you know, this company is reevaluating as to how they go to market and, and, and what I like to say, future-proofing its business. So do you feel like horizontal branding is pretty much dead and we're looking at more of an environment where we're looking for vertical segments with under a horizontal umbrella? Or are we saying that everything needs to be verticalized? I, I think... Let's talk, you know, for me, when I say vertical, horizontal, when I say vertical, I think of how, you know, how brands have for kids services and to which verticals. 
you had general market and then multicultural. And what what it did from a vertical perspective, it separated those audiences. You had a black campaign. You had a Hispanic campaign. Yeah, you, you had, had a, a women's campaign. campaign, sure. Yeah. You, you, you had different so, campaigns for different market segments. Yeah. So now what you have because of technology, you have what we call cross-cultural experiences. Now, the misinterpretation with cross-cultural is that that's one thing to everybody, and that's not the case. Cross-cultural allows you to understand what's a universal insight or experience, and then how do you go deep as it relates to experiences that are specific to those sections. Now, I would imagine this total market approach is particularly important when you're addressing global competition. Well, the interesting part with cross-cultural as a discipline, it actually came out in the 1930s in the U.S. as a social science discipline. It skipped over the U.S. because, again, we just became what we call the multicultural nation. So the discipline went to Europe. Now, why Europe? And if you look at why Europe is struggling right now, there was a lot of cross-border insights and differences and nuances that were cultural, whereas the U.S. was primarily monocultural for a long, long time. And so when you think about global, yes, cross-cultural has been in existence as a discipline longer. However, a lot of the brands did not have a middle class. And so what did brands do who wanted to go east? They adapted Western methodologies for engagement and engagement. So two things have changed. Middle class has evolved. You have a youth population uh, that's ever-increasing, becoming a dominant population. You have religion, which plays a huge factor in terms of how you communicate. And then you've got the Internet. So rolled up, if brands adapt more of a cross-cultural approach globally versus adapting, I think you've got to see more localized campaign efforts versus having this huge global effort where it speaks to people in the same way. So you gave us an example of Verizon that you see is adopting a cross-cultural approach, a successful one. Uh, you say that they're investing in the NBA and they're grabbing that, that youth cross-cultural uh, interest. Um, give us an example of a company which you feel really isn't taking that cross-cultural approach and is likely to find themselves in trouble. Well, I don't want to necessarily call out a single brand, all right? <laughs> I mean, I, I, again, we're... Ah, in, in go the, ahead. <laughs> uh, let's, let's talk about... Maybe, maybe they'll become a client. <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about categories. I mean, the, the one category I think... It's already, if you think of babies, anybody that's marketing the babies today, if you're not leading with Hispanic or African-American insights, um, then you're likely to you know, be disrupted by a competitor you know, over the next five years because all of these moving forward are 51 plus percent new minority majority. The, the other brand I'd say would probably category would be like QSR. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we need to watch how you know, McDonald's is going to market uh, Future Ford, yes. where their campaigns historically were highly ethnically divided. Let's see if that still will be a competitive position for them. Yes. Okay. Well, we have to take another break. We'll be right back with Jeffrey Bowman. You're listening to the Costa Report. I'm here today with Scott Caraccioli of Caraccioli Cellars, recent winners of the best sparkling wine in the U.S. in the Champagne and Sparkling Wine World Championship. Congratulations, Scott. Thank you, Rebecca. Thanks for having me. So what is it about your Brut Cuvée that beat all the other competitors around the world? We really focus on creating an expression of the Santa Lucia Highlands and doing it the right way. And when you control the process from the beginning to the end and you have talent like Michelle and top-tier grapes, they really shine through. This was a worldwide competition. It was definitely a humbling experience. We were in a room with producers that have been making wine for over 100, 200 years and was a huge honor to have Tom Stevenson give us the best Best Sparkling Wine Award. We fared really well overall. We had three wines win best of class, which was great. Visit the Caraccioli Tasting Room on Dolores Street in Carmel by the Sea, or find us online at caracciolicellars.com, or reach us by phone, 831-622-7722. Why are the wealthy special interests promoting Proposition 56? 
because they rigged the system to get most of the $1.4 billion a year in new tax money. Instead of solving problems like fighting violent crime, repairing our roads, and improving our kids' schools, Proposition 56 is rigged to give 82% of the new tax money to health insurance companies and other big businesses. In fact, not one penny goes to solving these problems California faces. Not one penny. That's why the California Taxpayers Association, the California Coalition of Law Enforcement Associations, and the Hispanic Leadership Fund all oppose Proposition 56. Follow the money yourself at knowonproposition56.com and find out the truth behind Prop 56. Paid for by No on 56. Stop the special interest tax grab. Major funding by Philip Morris USA Inc. and R.J. Reynolds Tobacco Company with a coalition of taxpayers, educators, healthcare professionals, law enforcement, labor, and small businesses. This is Larry from Bullseye Archery in Scotts Valley. We carry compound bows, traditional bows, rests, anything you need for archery, and then some. If you're new to this sport, we offer lessons and carry all the products you will need for archery. We're located in Scotts Valley, 5299 Scotts Valley Drive. We are open Tuesday through Friday, 1 to 7, Saturday, 11 to 6. Bullseye Archery, the little shop with everything you could want in archery. Try us out. Care from the Heart is a dedicated and professional home health care agency that's been serving families in the Tri-County Monterey Bay area for over 18 years. We help our clients and their families handle health challenges with determination, love, and humor. When you work with Care from the Heart, we provide assistance with the utmost respect. Your team will consist of nurses, case managers, and home care specialists who will listen and you will design a flexible program to fit your specific needs, either short-term or long-term. You might need help with medication, personal hygiene, meal preparation, transportation, companionship, household chores, or pet care. We can even help you with the dreaded insurance paperwork. If the time has come when you must step into the role of caregiver for a family member, naturally you'll have questions and concerns. Care from the Heart offers classes that provide specific information and skills you'll need to become the positive and supportive influence your family member deserves. And we protect against caregiver burnout by offering periodic respite care for you. Whatever your individual situation, now or in the future, help is available. For a complimentary consultation, call us at 831-476-8316. We can come to you or you are welcome to visit our office in Santa Cruz near Dominican Hospital. Our website is carefromtheheart.net. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and if you're just joining us, our guest today is Jeffrey Bowman. And before we went to break, you were saying that companies which offer baby products and uh, fast food chains like McDonald's will be interesting to watch to see how they adapt to the cross-cultural new majority. I want to give you an opportunity to finish that thought. Yeah, I mean, I, I think if historically you take a brand like McDonald's, um, you know, we did a brand cross-cultural index by Miller Brown. And historically, you know, McDonald's would come up number one in this category. But in this case, it was actually Subway. Uh, and this was done in 2014 prior, I'm sorry, 2015 prior to all the stuff happening with the, you know, with Jared and their, and their brand representative. But mm-hmm. this kind of gives you an indication that it's really more around the experiences that you build um, and how you engage consumers. And I think in the past, those experiences felt separate or disjointed. That's all. Yes. Now, switching gears for a moment, we have a lively race for the White House underway. And in many ways, the candidates themselves represent brands that can be summed up in a few words. And some seem to be doing a better job connecting with the new majority than others. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. That is correct. So who, in your view, uh, doesn't matter, Democrat or Republican, has the best total market approach? I mean, I think I think it's interesting because as we looked at how the, the uh, campaigns happened, I think the number one person, you know, would obviously have to be, uh, you know, Hillary or Bernie. 
Um, and I say Hillary or Bernie not because of you know uh, political race of political affiliation. I think you know when a lot of you know the, the analysts were talking about the campaigns, um, they were talking about coming out of Iowa, coming out of Rhode Island. But then as you see saw the campaign go to more diverse markets like South Carolina, like Georgia, or some will call, you know, this, you know the, what used to be the Bible Belt, you saw Hillary really increase and in, in win by, you know, 20, 30% margin. I think that just has to do with how the campaign is reaching uh, those diverse markets as well as the general market. So given your experience in building these strong brands and mindshare in this in the new majority, what advice would you give for candidates like uh, John Kasich that uh, don't seem to be getting traction in any of these markets? Kasich didn't get the traction because early on, uh, my observation is that he was not active as really to earn media. And so when you think about Donald Trump, he not only had a following, meaning he had an audience of you know, a million plus or close to a million on his social media. And we call that earned media. So irrespective of, of what you think about his platform and how he's positioned, he had an audience. And with Kasich, I think he, he would be considered what we call a traditional politician. He rose through the ranks. He, you know, has done a lot of reform with regards to the state of Ohio, but he had very little presence in comparison to Donald Trump and plus the other Republicans, any media presence uh, from an urban perspective. So I think anyone running for a race or thinking about running a race within your marketplace, you have to be able to reach uh, these segments, and that is through technology. Hispanics and African-Americans are the highest indexing uh, segments within what we call microblogging, that's Twitter, Facebook, uh, as well as Instagram. So that's a miss on his part. Well, let's say that uh, K6 Camp called you tomorrow and said, uh, we really want to bring it on in the media. What advice would you give? I think with K6, first of all, let's start, and he started to do that as recently as yesterday with the telephone media. He needs to really talk about how he's helped what, you know, the majority. Uh, Ohio is a very diverse state. Yes, it is. And he, needs to be, he needs to be able to talk to that as to how that would be impacted from a national basis. I would use testimonials in terms of people that have actually been impacted. And then instead of running a traditional team, I would utilize video. Um, and that gets them automatically to a much younger audience as well as educated audience. I see. So you're, you don't feel he's using enough tools to engage a younger audience and a more diverse audience by, uh, let's say, leveraging things like YouTube? Well, YouTube is very static. Today, he has to be in real time, and that's unfortunately what millennials and you know, people that are of that voting rank are using right now. So you mean things like Instagram? Just to be specific, should he be a big player on Instagram? I'm sorry, say that again, please. Uh, should he be a big player on Instagram, as an example? That's a young people's platform. Well, he should. It's, it's, it's cross-platform mm-hmm. and, and, and what we call omni-channels. Um, and I think it's pretty easy for, for him to do. Yes, he should definitely be more active in channels that are are much more available uh, to these audiences. Yeah, well, Donald Trump seems to be doing that. I mean, they can't stop, his campaign managers can't stop him from tweeting. <laughs> well, that's, you know, he's, you know, it's the one thing to be engaging, but it's also been effective. And so that's the thing that most brands need to understand. Yes, you can be engaging, but you have to be effective. And the soundbite has to be in, you know, 15 seconds or less. You know, Donald Trump, when he comes out with a point of view, it's real time, it's riveting, and then it's forgotten about in 48 hours, and then he's on to the next thing. And that's how brands drive engagement, and it's a slippery slope because before you had to wait, you know, a season for the upfront. You had to wait a season for the campaign to come out. And as those valleys dip, 
in order for you to remain relevant, you have to have a point of view throughout the entire calendar year versus, you know, optimal times from a season perspective. Well, uh, you know, I'm listening to this and I can understand uh, this approach relative to, let's say, selling a can of soda pop. But these 15 second or less and these short tweets, they feel rather shallow when it comes to something as important as the leader of the free world. I'm wondering if these same brand techniques are really transferable when it comes to something like governance. Well, I think it's, it's yes, it's going to depend on the category as well as it's going to depend on as well as how, how it's going to depend on your competitors. You know, the thing I'll say with Trump specifically, you know, nothing is, is an isolation. I think with Trump, he's really. Hello? I'm here. Mm-hmm. I think with Trump, it's also his competitive set. His competitive set is not responding in the same way that he is. So, yes, he does feel like an outlier. And I think it just very depends on the, the folks that are in your category specific to brand. Yes, well, it's interesting because I think that's where these presidential debates play a big role. You know, you don't see the president of Pepsi and the president of Coca-Cola getting in front of the American people and having a debate over which soda is going to be best. But, but let's, let's talk about, <laughs> let's go back, let's go back to the telco industry. When you look at the T-Mobile CEO, now, that's a challenger brand. They, they were in third, fourth place at best. Right. So when you, when you look at all the activities that they've done from a brand perspective, meaning that they said today, we're going to be about millennials. We're going to unbundle. We're going to you know, give you the right pricing. We're going to give you the right product plan. And then on top of that, he added his social media and he became an extension of the brand. Some will argue that he is the brand. But that's an example I use where it just kind of depends on how you're positioned in the marketplace and is this an opportunity to help elevate your brand from a spin perspective when you've got the Verizon, Sprint, as well as some of the others. Absolutely. And, and, and you make a good point. You know, by engaging in social media, that was part of his omni-channel strategy. Now, we have to take our last break, but stay right where you are. We'll be back after these important messages from our sponsors. You're listening to the Costa Report. Big data is changing the way organizations work. From data-driven marketing and ad targeting to the connected car, Big Data is fueling product innovation and new revenue opportunities. It's creating a culture in which business and IT leaders join forces to realize value from all data. They infuse analytics everywhere and make speed a differentiator, gaining competitive advantage from faster, more informed decisions. Leading organizations are creating new business models, developing new roles, and defining new big data architectures, including an infrastructure that can manage and process exploding volumes of structured and unstructured data, in motion as well as at rest, while protecting data privacy and security. Find out how IBM Big Data and Analytics can transform your business. Visit www.ibm.com slash big data today. In the opening of All Quiet on the Western Front, Eric Maria Remark wrote, This book is to be neither an accusation nor a confession, and least of all, an adventure. For death is not an adventure to those who stand face to face with it. It will simply try to tell of a generation of men who, even though they may have escaped its shells, were destroyed by the war. Today, Project Healing Waters offers men and women that have escaped the shells of war the opportunity to heal by teaching our returning veterans to fly fish in some of the most beautiful, tranquil rivers in our country. These natural surroundings have the ability to restore the human spirit, and with your help, Project Healing Waters is able to reach out to thousands of our men and women in the military every year. For information on how you can help, go to projecthealingwaters.org. Please give and give generously to those who have put their lives on the line for you. That's projecthealingwaters.org. Help those who have escaped the shells of war and need your help to come all the way back. 
Talmadge Construction reminds listeners, as we age, most of us want the comfort of staying in our own homes. The best way to age in place is to create the right structural environment in your home that provides safety, security, and peace of mind. The Talmadge family of Talmadge Construction has, for 30 years, offered integrity, style, and value on all types of home remodeling and specialize in adaptive remodeling projects, allowing you to stay in your home and neighborhood. Call 689-9133 for Talmadge Construction. School's back in session. Bad news for the kids. Great news for RVers. Hello, folks. Michael Olson here with Rena Mills, the owner of RV Service Center, 2525 Mission, north end of Santa Cruz, right next to California One. Rena, it is a great time to be an RVer. Yes, Michael, that's true. Weather is fantastic in Santa Cruz County. So get your RVs tuned up at RV Service Center. Do you have any special inducements to get people ready to hit the road this autumn? Yes, Michael, we do. Anytime you have any damage on your RV, we can help you get an insurance claim started. And with that insurance claim, we offer a free gift certificate equal to the value of your deductible when you have your insurance work done at RV Service Center. Wow, that means like a free repair almost. Yes, it does, Michael. That's just money in your pocket. And in the gas tank and on the open road. Folks, bring your RVs down to RV Service Center here at the north end of Santa Cruz 2525 Mission. Have your RV all tuned up by RV Service Center, and away you go. It's always open house at the Mike Young Real Estate Hour, and you are always invited to walk right in and join the discussion. Hello, I am Mike Young, and I love talking real estate with all the experts and with you. So get a jump on the Real Estate Weekend every Friday, 7 p.m. on the Mike Young Real Estate Hour, right here on Listen and Be Heard Radio KSCO. The Mike Young Real Estate Hour is brought to you by Thunderbird Real Estate, Real People Selling Real Estate, by Rick Williams at American Pacific Mortgage, and by Steve Manville at Farmers Insurance. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and our guest today is founder of Reframe the Brand, Jeffrey Bowman. Now, I want to mention that you have a book out titled Reframe, the Total Market Approach to Reaching the New Majority. And we've been talking about some of the points you cover in your book, as well as how branding not only applies to products, but sometimes to politicians as well. So how about celebrities who are always looking to expand their fan base? Let's take someone like... um, Rush Limbaugh, for example, that would, uh, how would he use the total market approach uh, to, you know, connect with the new majority? And and can he? Can he do that? Well, again, I think, um, yes, he can do it. But it's really, it's it's more of a business equation than, quote, unquote, a demographic equation or a social equation. Now, say that because, you know, oftentimes when the conversation comes up, it's around social impact or you know, civil rights or the minority. In Rush Limbaugh's case, you know, he was an innovator in his space. He was the first, you know, not really first to market, but he used talk radio in a, in a, toward a very conservative base. And over time, he's become that industry leader. And the question becomes, you know, who else is next? How are they, are they going to reach his same audience? per se, through podcasts, so his costs are down and from an operational standpoint. And so for Rush, it just really kind of depends on, you know, who his competitors are going to be, how is the segment going to eventually shift, and when it becomes unprofitable or someone else begins to take his share, then, like most companies do, they begin to explore emerging segments, and that's when he may have to change his approach to the marketplace. But someone like Rush Limbaugh and many celebrities and political leaders are sort of typecast, so to speak. Can you still reframe yourself if you've been typecast so uh, so extensively? Yeah, I mean, take a look at some of the people that, that fall from grace publicly. Uh, take uh, Alex Rodriguez. Now, Alex Rodriguez is an interesting one because he's, you know, he's a Latino. He was an athlete. He, you know, allegedly submitted uh, some you know, fraudulent acts, but he, he has found a way to reinvent himself. And I would call it through brand association. Um, you know, most recently he was photographed with the, you know, ex-wife of uh, uh, the founder of Google. 
And so what does that say to your fan base that you develop via social media? It said, hey, I'm going to make smarter decisions. I'm going to associate my brand with people that may have, you know, a higher uh, perception as it relates to, you know, quality, behavior decisions, et cetera. So your your belief is even if you typecast yourself or you, you know, fall out of favor with the public, there's always the opportunity to rebrand yourself. There's the opportunity, but it just really depends on others in the category. You know, with Alex, you know, he built a, a firm base through, you know, his charity, his acts, and his performance on the field. And, if, you know, you take someone like Pete Rose – kind of did the same thing, but really at a different era as it relates to media. So, you know, we never really got inside the psyche like we can today through, you know, social media of, of a Pete Rose. So do you feel um, like Pete he, Rose didn't go far enough? Not only has he not gone far enough, I think, you know, anytime you're any type of crisis management or any type of situation, you have to be apologetic as well as authentic. I think people know Pete Rose as a very authentic person. He is who he is, but almost unapologetic. That's a good point. Apologetic. Uh, We see Donald Trump doing a lot of uh, redacting right now uh, relative to some positions that he's taken. And uh, many people feel that he's very sincere in his uh, in his apologies. Uh, Do you think that's coming across to voters? Well, I I think it's it's coming across to the core voters that, you know, it's almost like a brand, you know, your your value proposition. His value proposition is that we're going to change even though he's not verbalizing, articulating like Bernie, like we're going to change America or make America great again. Mm -hmm. Um, That's elastic, elastic enough to make America great for the middle class, underrepresented for the wealthy. Like who are you talking about here? So I think for his core base, statistically in terms of the people that are being affected by some of the things he's called out, um, there's an audience for that. And he's sticking to that core. Now, will it win a general election? I don't think so. Well, I think you make a good point when you say, who is he planning to make America great for again? And uh, and I hope that some of the Trump supporters and uh, certainly the campaign folks, I know they listen in on this program because it's nationally syndicated. Hopefully they'll be taking that good advice and going back and saying, maybe we need to be specific. How are we going to make America great again for uh, different groups of people, uh, diverse, uh, d- diverse culture in the United States. And, and maybe we ought to throw out some very specific examples of that. Now, uh, before we run out of time, do you have a website where listeners today can go to contact you or get more information about your book? Yes, and I want to thank you for this interview. But yes, they can go to www.reframethebrand.com, www.reframethebrand.com. And the book is on there as well. And, uh, it's a terrific book. Place. Yeah, I have to tell you, it's a terrific book. It really sums up uh, how much the market dynamics have changed, whether you're in business or uh, in governance. Uh, whether you're thinking about starting your business, it's a great way to start on the right foot. Uh, we are all out of time for today, but before we let you go, I want to thank you for taking time to be with us and for helping us to understand the impact the new majority is having. Thank you, Mr. Bowman. Thank you so much. If your station is leaving us after this hour and you have a question or a comment to make about our interview with Jeffrey Bowman, you can email me at RebeccaCosta.com or drop me a note on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. We're all over the Internet, and we love hearing from you. And if you missed the full interview with Mr. Bowman or any of our other guests, you can download previous episodes of the Costa Report from our website, Apple iTunes, Podbean, and our YouTube channel. And while you're at our website, be sure to check out our new weekly 
weekly blog. It's right there. It's not only on our website. It's also on the Huffington Post. You can grab it there as well. It's short and completely free. And if you want a more in-depth analysis of the topic that our guest covered uh, today, just get the weekly blog. It's it's very pithy and and quick to read. Go to RebeccaCosta.com and click on the word blog at the top of the page. And be sure you register your email address so that you'll receive our monthly guest schedule. And then you'll know exactly who's going to be on at what time. And for all the listeners who ask me how the Costa Report has been able to remain independent from large media consortiums and want us to continue to bring you voices from the left, right, and center of our country, there's a very easy way to support objective, informative journalism the way that it used to be. Just go to our website, RebeccaCosta.com, and click on The Watchman's Rattle. Not only will you receive an autographed book that is a page-turner and you won't want to put down, but 100%, not 90 or 99%, 100% of the book proceeds go toward keeping interviews like the one you heard today on the air. So do it now. Go to RebeccaCosta.com and order a copy of The Watchman's Rattle for yourself or as a gift for someone you love, and be sure to ask for a custom dedication when you order. My guest next week was unable to confirm with us prior to our broadcast today. So uh, you'll have to check your local station or you can visit our website at RebeccaCosta.com to find out who will be joining me behind the microphone in exactly seven days. Rest assured, when they keep that guest a secret from me, me, the host, can you imagine (laughs) I'll know when you know uh, when they keep the guest a secret from the host. Well, it usually means the producers have something big up their sleeves uh, and they don't want to disappoint. So they're not going to announce prematurely. So tune in uh, next week and we're going to find out together (laughs) who will be in the studio with me. Uh, So I look forward to uh, having you join us again next week on the only program that puts policy ahead of politics. Again, I want to thank our first hour guest, uh, Mr. Jeffrey Bowman. And again, mention that you can go to www.reframethebrand.com to get his book. It's a delightful book and anyone in business ought to take a few minutes to check it out. Now stay tuned for another hour of Straight Talk Radio. You're listening to the Costa Report. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.